Wait, wait for the Lord. Rejoice and give thanks and pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've spent a lot of time waiting this week. Maybe you have too. My created constitution doesn't really lend itself to waiting. I'm more of a let's get it done sort of person. I remember as a child my mother, and especially my grandmother, saying to me, Linda Gale, just be patient. It will come. It will get done. They will catch up. Just wait. And my childlike response, I'm sure, was something along the lines, well, why don't they hurry up? I don't want to wait any longer. It's just taking too long. Waiting. <laughs> Waiting. That's what we find in the gospel for today. Waiting in many ways. In this particular parable, Matthew's gospel is of the eschaton, that waiting for the second coming of Christ. And Matthew positions this parable in the midst of, of, that, of the description of that time of waiting and preparation. In chapters 24, 25, and 26, it's what's going to be going on while the faithful are awaiting the return of Christ. Now, it's important, I think, for us to know that Matthew is writing to a persecuted people, and he's encouraging them to retain and live into their, their faith as they await the imminent, what they thought was the imminent, return of Jesus. And Matthew's exhortations are to a community that has endured significant threat. And he is asking them to keep their confession of their faith in Christ as, and to wait expectantly for the return. The challenge, however, and the irony of all of this is that they thought that the return was going to, even the earliest followers thought that Christ's return was going to be imminent. And here's Matthew, a generation later, still writing to the faithful saying, wait. an expectation unrealized. What we hear this morning in Matthew's Gospel is a parable. Now, frankly, I don't care for this parable because it's confusing for me, it's irritating for me, and it shouts of inefficiency and unpreparedness. This particular election and others that you're going to hear in the following weeks are intended to prepare us for Advent. We know that Advent is that season in the church year when we prepare for the second coming of Christ. While we prepare to celebrate the Nativity, the birth of Jesus. So what do we make of this scene of the bridesmaids and their lamps and oil and the bridegroom and an impending wedding and finally a closed door. 
Now, I have to say for those of you at home, we have some folks here in the, in the cathedral, but for those of you at home, I wish you were here because if you were here, I would be asking you and we would have a dialogue. What does that, what does all this mean to you? Because frankly, it is a puzzlement to me if I try to line up in my head some sort of orderly fashion. So that's not what I'm going to try to do. What I want to do instead is I want us, you and I, to contemplate and to ponder what it means to wait. I believe it's a universal condition. We all have experienced it, and some of it, some of us, do it better than others. In Matthew's parable, everyone is waiting. The bridesmaids, both wise and foolish, and even in some sense, the bridegroom is waiting to arrive. And the longer they wait, the more tired they become until ultimately they all fall asleep. And I wonder, have you ever had a situation when you were waiting for something that you were uncertain about and it took its toll and it was exhausting and you felt the burden on your shoulders and in your heart and your lungs? I remember one time when I was waiting for a lab test result. I knew in my head that eventually we were going to get some sort of result. And in the meantime, my heart and my soul, and yes, even my thoughts, created all kinds of scenarios that went like, oh, well, everything's going to be okay, no problem, to, ooh, I, this might not be such a, this might not be it turned out just as good as I thought it was going to, to finally, oh my God, I'm going to die. But all of that's going on while I'm waiting. Waiting even when you <laughs> kind of know that the outcome is going to be okay. It's still waiting. I don't know, <clears throat> this happened to me this week. I don't know how many of you have been into a, a retail outlet recently, but I'm reminded that we're headed towards Christmas as I was greeted when I went into Fred Meyer by the aisles of ornaments, wrapping paper, and gifts. And then I got in the car, I turned on, the, on Pandora when I was coming to the cathedral on Wednesday, and guess what? Out of the radio came Christmas carols. Anticipating Christmas, I don't know. Maybe this isn't your experience, but boy, anticipating Christmas is a waiting game all into itself. Maybe you remember your childhood, peeking under the tree, shaking the presents, that long trip, car trip that lasts forever, and the litany of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We all know what it's like to wait. We know how frustrating it can be to wait in traffic, to wait in a grocery line, to wait for that unemployment check, to wait for the baby to be born, to wait for the computer to stop, start up, and to connect with the internet, and we wait. All kinds of waiting. 
waiting is often hard, really hard. And it can be marked by anxiety and maybe even fear. I know that has been true for me this past week. And it's not just about who wins and who loses, but about all the people who have made their voice known through the ballot box, and that there will be millions of people disappointed and discouraged, perhaps angry and disillusioned by a loss. Though I myself am satisfied with the results of the election, my heart, my heart grieves for those who also feel the defeat, especially my family and some of my friends. I cannot speak for them, but I can be vigilant in my awareness of their pain as we move forward into whatever is next for our country. I believe that as Christians, we continue to live as the early followers did, with an expectation that God is here with all of us, all of us. Christ stands as a light, a lamp that has an endless supply of oil, and the door of God's kingdom is never, never, never shut. I submit that we look now more than ever, not to what is wrong, but what is right and good recognizing and reclaiming words that have been spoken before. These words I am about to read were written four years ago. This is the work before us. To protect and defend the human dignity of immigrants, refugees, and those who fear deportation, our churches will be sanctuaries for those whose safety and security is threatened. We will stand and work with those whose race or religion is threatened by the vitriolic and violent language and action of white supremacy in American society. We will confront bigotry, fear, ignorance, and hatred whenever and wherever we encounter it. We will not, we will not, we will not be silent or passive in the face of language that harms the children of God. We will protect the physical, psychological, and spiritual safety of women, people of sexual and gender diversity, the elderly and the physically impaired. We will pray we will pray for our president and elected leaders and hold them accountable to the principles of justice as found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of this will take time. And we surrender our waiting, our time, into God's hands, trusting that God is showing up all the time as we wait and as we watch, and as we work. So I ask of all of you, at this holy time in your life, for what are you waiting? 
What kind of waiting do you find difficult or anxiety-producing? How is grief a platform for your waiting? The anxiety and stress of living in the in-between time can be difficult. Our parable reminds us that we are not alone in our waiting and we can testify to Jesus' presence when we share one another's burdens, when we respect the dignity of every human being, whenever we advocate for the poor, and when we reach out to those who are on the margins of society to work and make this God-given world an even better place. I read this recently. This is our role as the church. We are those who wait for each other, wise and foolish alike. We are those who sit vigil for each other at times of pain and loss and bereavement. We are those who celebrate achievements and console disappointment. We are those who give hope when hope is scarce. Comfort when it is needed. Courage when we're afraid. We are, in short, those who help each other to wait, prepare, and keep the faith. In all these ways, we encourage each other with the promises of Christ. That's what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. Then, and right now. My friends, I invite you to open the heart, open the doors of your heart. Light the lamp of your spirit and work expectantly for the coming of Jesus into our lives that we may be the loving, liberating, life-giving community that God has called us to be.